0: Welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. I'm Stacy.
1: And I'm David. We grew up together in Beverly Hills in the 1980s.
0: Forget what you've seen in the movies or TV shows. We have the real stories about real people growing up in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills folk drop a lot of names of people and places.
1: We just can't help it.
0: Don't worry, we'll explain it all at the end of the interview in the Beverly Hills Breakdown.
1: Enjoy, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Hey, Stacy.
0: Hey, David.
1: It was so great to have Allison Martino on. How cool is she?
0: She is so cool. We had so much fun with her. And I felt like we we were like buddies. We just got along with her great. We had so many things to talk about. And I think we're going to have to have her on again because we had so many stories to share.
1: Yeah. If you're from L.A., you've probably seen some of her posts on Facebook because she has an amazing site with a huge following called Vintage Los Angeles. And there she posts the history of Los Angeles, and every post goes viral, and they're so much fun. We've always enjoyed it, but we didn't really know Allison.
0: No, we didn't know her at all before she came on the show, because she was a little bit younger than us in school. But we learned a lot about her, a lot about Los Angeles, and a lot about Beverly Hills. It was so much fun.
1: Yeah, I really felt like she was a kindred spirit.
0: Another place you can listen to her is on Spectrum News. She has a show there called Eye on LA on Spectrum News. You could either watch it on TV or get the app if you're not a Spectrum customer.
1: Yeah, I didn't know they had an app. That's so cool that you can listen to her there. And then we learned a lot about her father, the famous singer Al Martino. What an interesting guy.
0: Holy cow, is he interesting. We learned so much about him.
1: He was also in the Godfather movies, and he played the singer in the Godfather movies, and some of the most famous scenes in the Godfather revolve around his character.
0: His character was Johnny Fontaine. He was in all three of the Godfather movies. And David, why don't you tell us the famous line from the scene that he's in?
1: Well, I wish I could do the accent, but when Marlon Brando says, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse, it's to get his character into a movie, and then...
0: Bam, there was a horse head in the bed.
1: Yeah, that leads to the <laughs> horse's head in the bed. <laughs> well, we sure enjoyed this one, and I think you will, too.
0: Let's go right to it, David. Allison Martino, welcome to Growing Up Beverly Hills. Thank you for having me.
1: Allison, it's so great to have you on. We've been wanting to have you on since the beginning of the show.
0: I've been wanting to talk about
2: my hometown for a long time. A lot's happened. but <laughs> well, we are thrilled. Thank you.
1: So we know your dad's from... Philly, and he's the famous singer, Al Martino. So I assume that that was part of the reason that you guys moved to Beverly Hills.
2: Yeah, my dad was from Philly, and it was 68, 1968. Variety shows were really popular, and, and dad was getting invited on those. So it was actually his record label that encouraged him to move to Hollywood. That's how they uh-huh. pitched it. You know, it wasn't necessarily Beverly Hills. He came out, he just married my mother, who is an airline stewardess for American, and start our lives in, in los angeles hollywood but beverly hills was never on the it wasn't because beverly hills wasn't what we know of it is today right you know there no, was no famous zip code mm-hmm. or anything like that and they looked at encino they looked at hollywood westwood and there was a house that kind of stood out to my dad on Rexford drive that ended up being our house for 48 years mm. yeah wow. and and he really wanted it there was a bidding war between himself mel torme <laughs> And Aaron Spelling at the time. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah,
2: and I know that dad got it because Aaron Spelling, I don't think the Mod Squad had quite became the sensation as it was today, or he would have got like five of those houses. Yeah. But dad got it. My dad had two other kids, but they were older than me. Okay. So I was like the lucky kid who got to like, you know, choose my own room. And that was my room the whole time. And we lived there for, my mom just sold the house four years ago.
1: So were you born at Cedars?
2: I was born at Cedars in Hollywood. Yay! <laughs> so I have a Hollywood and Beverly Hills in me. I uh, went to Hawthorne School, which is the elementary school, and, and then Beverly High. Yep. And it was like a college campus, Beverly High, when all the four major elementary schools merged together.
1: Yeah, we were seniors when you were just starting out at Beverly.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: You probably looked up to us
2: and... <laughs> I, you know, I, I, it was barely intimidating when four schools get together. Yeah. Like, I do describe, like, what was Beverly Hills like growing up? Like, there were there a lot of celebrities? And, you know, I remember, like, well, I mean, but I didn't look at them like that. And sometimes we didn't know who our friends' parents were. Yeah. We just didn't know. You know, like, we're we're having our own issues on the field. And we're, we're doing yeah. our things in school and we're trying to make friends. And I don't ever remember, who's your parents? Right. But, you know, if Smokey Robinson decided to play basketball on the courts with us after school, it it was the other parents that got more excited about
0: that. Yeah, totally.
2: Um, And, like, you know, Roger Moore's kids went to our school for like a half a second. And one of my favorite memories was my mom was picking me up from Hawthorne. I'm like 10 or 11. Her car starts to overheat. And it's so embarrassing when you're 10 years old. Like, Mom, your cars are eating for all the other mothers, you know? And she's like, guess who's helping me? And I look over and there's Roger Moore, like, opening up the car and, like, fixing her and making sure it's not smoking. She's like, James Bond just helped us. It's worth
0: it.
1: He probably installed an ejector seat.
2: (laughs) No kidding. It's like there were little moments like that. You know, if I graduated, I looked out in the audience, there was this sea of, like, you know, Academy Award winning actors. It was just... A really cool place to grow up because it was a community and, you know, restaurants like the Hamburger Hamlet that we all sort of saw each other at and parents were friends with other parents. There was an industry in that Beverly Hills area, but our, none of our neighbors were in the street, right. you know? I grew up across the street from Edward G. Robinson and we would see Fred Astaire in, in the post office or Lucio wow. Ball. Lucio Ball at Hamburger Hamlet. Doris Day riding her bike. These are the memories that come to me immediately. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you that I have hundreds of them because it just felt like a village. I didn't look at stars like we sort of now because these were real movie stars at the time. You know, seeing Natalie Wood shop for her mom, you know, in a a little mom and pop shop like Toby's for clothes. Mm -hmm. There was no Rodea Drive as we know it today. It felt more like a village with like... You know, J.J. Newberry, a hardware store.
1: Uh, yeah, it probably felt like a lot of different small towns where you could go yes. to the Five and Dime and eat at yeah, the lunch Woolworths. counter. and
2: Woolworths! Oh, my God. Now you're gonna bring up another memory. here you go, when right? I, when I talked to you guys, yes. I remember the J.J. Newberry, so it was, it was right by Thrifty, which now everybody calls CVS, yeah. but I still call it Thrifty. Yes, me too. Me too. Oh, remember Food King? Sorry, everybody that's listening. Yeah, to this. there was like a Food King, and you could walk through the thrifty through the Food King to Beverly Drive, and then you'd be in the JJ Newberry. Yeah, it was two stories, and they sold parakeets and fish. Yeah, and, and you know, and uh, and I used to buy a lot of arts and crafty stuff type mm-hmm. stuff. So it was, I mean, I hate to say it was more creative, but it felt like we were exposed to more kid things, even children things. It was
1: so much more kid friendly, yeah. and. A lot of our families or friends of our family had charge accounts and you could go to the yeah. toy store oh, yeah. and charge a toy and then go charge Nate your lunch. <laughs> Rudnick's. We charge oh, Rudnicks.
0: at Rudnick's. Don't we charge. Don't get me started. Rudnicks was, <laughs>
2: Rudnick's was my favorite store. Tell us about Rudnick's. It was preppy. Yeah, you know, we were buying like those preppy shirts, you know, Lacoste shirts. Lacoste almost looked like polo shirts, mm-hmm. you know. And we used to have them we used to like pull the sleeves up. You know? yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, today I, if I wore it, like, what? Um, <laughs> that's what we would wear back then. I still wear those. I, I mean, you could probably get away with it. I, I, I wish I still had all mine. Yeah. But we were talking about other shops in Beverly Hills, like you know Fiorucci. Yeah. Which I, I, gonna... I know you're wearing a Fiorucci shirt in my honor for you. My classmate at Hawthorne, around fourth or fifth grade, her mom was Miss Israel, oh, this oh, beautiful wow. woman, and her daughter dressed so cool. I was like, where does her daughter get all these clothes? They were super new wave, you know, crazy hot pink colors with, you know, flashes of leopard and, mm-hmm. you know, plastic and spandex and all this, something right out of Xanadu. Oh. And um, her mom was one of the founders of bringing Firu Cheats to Beverly Hills Oh wow! For, from Europe. And it was at the Beverly Theater, which is a beautiful old Egyptian-looking architecture bank that we all saw movies at growing mm-hmm. up. And in 1979, they turned it into a Firucci store, which was shocking because it was so big.
1: It was so wild-looking, Yeah, too.
2: wild-looking, and the stores Wild. were really, like, the windows were super risque, and you could roller skate up to the front. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that's when I realized I was living in a really cool era. You yeah. know, yeah. there there was Camp Beverly Hills up the street. Yep. We were also very exposed to, like, the Century City Mall at the time, which is a completely different mall now. Totally. And I don't like it, sorry. Um, Me neither. And Westwood Village, this was the most bustling. You couldn't even drive your car in there on the weekend. There was so many people. It was American graffiti of the 80s. Oh, yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And,
2: you, and then there was video arcade in there. And let's talk about going to the movies during the 80s was oh. really an epic experience. It was. I mean, yeah, and we know, could do
1: it on our own from a very young age.
2: I mean, my mom dropped me off in Westwood at 12 oh, yeah. years old and picked me up. Oh, at, yeah, you know, absolutely.
1: Or we would even take the bus at 12. Oh,
2: yeah. Did you take the bus, Allison? I took it from Wilshire Boulevard or Sunset, you know? Yeah. Now, I wasn't allowed to take it into Hollywood.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> but Only I,
2: I could take it West, you know? And I could, I could take it to Gailey or, you know, get off at Westwood. But there was, like, ships Coffee Shops and mm-hmm. there just seemed to be just didn't seem as shishi, uh, whatever, as affluent as, as the Beverly Hills reputation is now. And my zip code was nine hundred two and I thought nothing of it at all till the TV show. Yeah. And then I would go back east because I had a, uh, my parents also had a house in Philly. So I had this very interesting life of going back, living in Beverly Hills, and then in the small town in South Philly. And so I got the you know the New Yorkers kind of coming in, and the Phillies <laughs> took to a good <laughs> pasta, and I would come back, and then we would go to the Luau. In Beverly Hills, yeah. this Polynesian restaurant with the waterfall and the drinks on fire. And they had a little shop inside. You could buy tiki mugs. And, yeah. I mean, that tiki culture is so big again. It but is. But back yeah. then, I mean, I'm sad we don't have something like that anymore. Me too. And it does feel like Rodeo Drive is now, I'm not putting it down, it is where you go to buy expensive, the labels.
0: Exactly. You know, I don't
2: remember a Gucci there. I don't remember Prada there. They weren't. There was Giorgio. Georgia. Right, and Bijan and that was sort of it.
0: I worked at Allen Austin, you know, that was Okay, like, yeah. And, and Theodore, remember Theodore Oh, was... come on. So that's where we went shopping, you know, or, or you know, Maxwell, you know, like... A store like Theodore, mm-hmm. I think they
2: were the first shop that sold a t-shirt for $100. And totally. I remember that, that was being a really big deal. And that was like 1986 or so, you know, and I'm, I know I did not get one. <laughs> Priscilla Presley had a shop a boutique, Biz and Bo, which I think was on Robertson for a very short time. Mm -hmm. That was like a big deal to shop in for my mom or something. I I just don't remember seeing the labels on the 70s and the 80s.
1: They were mom and pops own stores, you know, and like Peter Garland who owns Porto Villa today, his parents had a store called Mr. G and I think that was on Rodeo.
2: I didn't even know that was his parents. Yeah. See, you don't know things until I talk to you guys. (laughs) <laughs> I miss like having a place to walk in and like oh you could buy a parakeet or a, or a goldfish yeah you know
1: yeah I feel sorry for the kids because we could do everything and they can basically go to Starbucks you know how boring is that
2: yeah you know, if yeah if you see Natalie Wood shopping in a shop which we did once I'm sorry but everyone's gonna look at her I mean mm-hmm. it's Natalie Wood but not everyone's right. trying to sneak selfies and right. get it on my Instagram page <laughs> and you know I, I think that that was it felt more like you could say oh hello Natalie and walk by and That was it. Yeah. It was like they didn't feel like, oh gosh, I wonder what they're doing with their phone behind my back. Or that's, I feel sorry for those types of people who were in the public. I think they're moving out of Beverly Hills. Yeah. A little bit.
1: Oh, that makes sense.
0: You know, I have a question. Now, speaking about that, what was that like growing up for you? Because your father was famous. And I would assume, like, when you guys went to dinner at Dantana's or Hugo's, did people come up to you or anything like that? I don't have memories like that. I, I would say that the way it was is that
2: people like my dad would run into their peers. Yeah. So if you ran into Andy Williams a, mm-hmm. a, or or Nancy Sinatra, you'd just say hi. 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 How hi. you doing? How's the road treating you? What are you going to Vegas soon? You're going to be playing that club? What's going on? You know, but I didn't they were more just friends.
0: Yeah. Of, and,
2: and like the way you'd run into your friends with Abraham, it was so interesting. She'd walk in on a Sunday by the time you got to your table, you've said hi to 50 people. Yeah. Because that's the way you sort of, you know, saw your neighbors and your colleagues and whatever your business was. I probably knew my dad was someone not so much living in L.A. Mm
0: -hmm. When
2: I'd go on the road with him. Oh, okay. And then he'd play small towns.
0: Did you go on the road with him, like when you were a kid? Yeah, I did a lot. Mm -hmm. I missed a lot of school.
2: Uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fun.
0: My dad was, you know,
2: primarily a a singer. Mm -hmm. He was not an actor, even though he wasn't The Godfather. And he made one great movie. Dad, you made one movie and you did it good.
0: Not only is your dad in The Godfather, your father is Johnny Fontaine from all three Godfathers, Allison.
2: He got very lucky there. And he was great. He was. His job was to sing in in live audiences and perform.
1: Let's tell everybody what kind of singer your father was.
2: I don't like to say the word crooner only because he hated that word. But okay. I, I would say he was—he sang standards. Okay. So he was a romantic singer from the—you know—I can only say today everyone responds to Frank Sinatra, so you have to say the Sinatra era. But yes. back then there was there was my dad, and there there was Andy Williams, there was you know Vic Damone, and and mm-hmm. you know Perry Como, and th- those guys were the originals of yes. their field. Vegas was just was exploding around the late 50s early 60s and through the 70s so i went to vegas a lot Mm. and he would perform there he'd get three or four week engagement
0: wow so
2: i could spend the summer there but i didn't but i would go back and forth but but atlantic city was really it's the where i spent the most time how fun yeah so that was fun because back then in in atlantic city it was not gambling it was it was carnival Mm. so the whole boardwalk was nothing but carnivals ski ball and Mr. Peanut Man and roller coasters, bumper cars, wow. the horses that would fly and go into the, I mean, it was insane. And I remember my mom telling me like, maybe it's 78 or 1980 or, well, I'm really sorry, but Atlantic City's not going to be as fun for you anymore. As the kids are going to be all casinos and ki- kids are not allowed in the casinos. So I'm like, what? I'm going to just stand on the boardwalk the whole time, not be able to go in anywhere. I adjusted.
1: Did you have Philly relatives that would come and visit you in? In Jersey?
2: My entire family was in Philly and Jersey. Yeah, the entire family. I'm the only Angelino in both sides of my family. Oh, yeah. I I feel really, like, special. I'm the only one.
1: Your dad's life is really, like, I just think it would make an amazing movie.
2: It would. Have you thought of that? Well, I think we've all thought of it through the years. Even my dad considered it. He was writing scripts with a few people who didn't like the way they turned out, and they went in the trash. (laughs) Because a lot of it is... Really, it's really hard to do when the person you're making something about is not here. Right. Um, I yeah. think I could tell his story, but without him, it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. So I share a lot of his stories on Instagram, on Facebook. I, I feel like I am writing his story mm. through, uh-huh. my, through my childhood growing up here and, and, mm. and adding a lot of elements of vintage LA in it. So there's that that I do. But maybe one day someone will approach. There's a lot of elements.
1: Even before he was a famous singer, he fought in Iwo Jima.
2: He fought in Iwo Jima on the front lines. That's this incredible. This guy was the real deal. He ran away when he was fifteen.
0: Tell us that story, please.
2: You know, he was in Philadelphia, and he had to hitch hitchhike from Philly to you know to California. So he went down to Texas and then up and stuff. He Got kidnapped. He hitchhiked? Yeah, I got kidnapped once. Tell us. Oh I mean, I I wish I had recorded him. And so oh. he got, all these stories were just wild. But yeah, he got he got kidnapped, and they put him in the back of some. Some house, and they, the walls were real high, and they, they put him to work.
1: He got Shanghai.
2: He did. He somehow got out, jumped on a train. I mean, his whole story of just getting here, he was really the very fascinating time in American history. Anyway, when he got there, he was too young to go in. So he asked an older gentleman if he would pose as his dad and say he was 18. Mm. So no, oh, wow. they did not check any paperwork. <laughs> they wanted soldiers. You know, yes. Anyone that was willing to go, today you're, be you checked, you know, 50 different ways. But, so he ended up going, of course, never knowing this war would be the most proud thing he's ever done, you mm-hmm. know, died, almost died a few times, yeah. you know, shot in the hand, shot in the, I mean, Ooh. you know, anyway, went blind on Iwo during combat wow. uh, for several oh days. There's a lot, I mean, every single person who ever served any uh, war has a story. Yes. Luckily, I've, I've heard a lot of them. So I think when he came back out of the war and he went back to Philly, had no idea he had a singing voice or anything like that. He said he used to whistle a lot.
1: (laughs) So he had a childhood friend who became a famous singer before him.
2: You mean Mario Lanza? Yeah. Mario was a big star at the time. And he was like one of the first Mm -hmm. tenors to cross over to pop music. He was friendly with dad. There was a song called Here in My Heart, which ended up being my dad's uh, first number one single. Yeah. And Mario was going to record it. But mm-hmm. he let dad record it. And I think if that hadn't happened, there's nothing like your first hit being your number one hit.
0: Yes.
1: He also had a break. He won a talent show in 1952, uh, Arthur Godfrey's talent show, which was a big, big one, right? Yeah,
2: I think Eddie Fisher also won that at the time and Dick Haynes. Yeah, that was a, a very popular time. It was like a, you know, Dick Clark. We know Dick Clark as, as American Bandstand, but Arthur Godfrey was also another, this is 52. Mm hmm. He won. He had many, many great areas of his uh, career where he was excelling and getting larger. Then he had to uh, leave America for seven years at the yes. height of his career because he. Uh,
1: well, that sounds like another movie.
2: I think it's another podcast. That's a whole you know, another. Thing. So uh, yeah, we'll 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 visit that part too.
1: Okay. But we will say the mafia was involved.
2: Well, right? yeah. <laughs> so let's just say that when dad took that part in The Godfather, it was no stretch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: Now, talking about that, that part in The Godfather, I've always heard, was kind of written about Frank Sinatra.
2: That's just a rumor we're never going to ever get past. Um, yeah. It's sort of a composite of many American Italian, Italian-American singers at the time. Mario Puzo knew my dad's background. They were friendly. I think some of it was loosely based on him. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing mm-hmm. that people associated with Sinatra at all. No. Um, yeah. But Sinatra made bigger of it than it was. Okay. So he, Did
1: Sinatra ever talk to your dad about it?
2: He never spoke to him again after he took the part. Oh. Sorry, it's true. Uh, and, yeah. he, and he had a, actually had him blacklisted from Vegas for about 20 years. Oh my God! I was
1: wondering about that. Frank Sinatra doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would like that kind of thing.
2: Just, I mean, I don't get it totally. Uh, but uh,
1: yeah, somebody was going to take that part anyway.
2: I think it was Dad though, because yeah. they were on the same label mm. and they were going after the same songs. Because you know, yeah. back that back in the day, you know, people like my father—they didn't write their own songs, right? So they were right. pitched music through Capitol Records or whatever it record industry you had. And I, I think there was competition mm-hmm. there. They made a movie about my dad. He'd have fourth billing in his own movie. Because, <laughs> because like, you know, it's like, first is Fred Sinatra, you know, then it's like going to be San Giacchana, you know, then it's going to be like Marilyn Monroe and, uh, then, and, 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 and Al then, and then dad. Like there's so many elements. It's like dad is just like this story. Like they happened around all these bombs dropping off around him.
1: Well, that's often the way a movie is.
2: I know, you know, a tremendous survivor and and went and sang till he was 82 years old and would have been singing if he hadn't passed away so suddenly. Wow. But Beverly Hills was the place that he liked to come back and relax because he uh, really enjoyed cooking and food was a big part of our family. So when he wasn't on the road, lugging his pots and pans with him, by the way, that was in his contract. In his contract, he had to have his pots and pans. Why? He liked his own cooking. And he cooked? (laughs) He cooked himself? Oh, my mother never cooked a meal in 48 years. Oh, my God. Your dad (laughs) did all the cooking, too? Italian family. Italian. Wow. when he wasn't performing, he enjoyed entertaining. Mm. So he loved to have his his showbiz friends over. I mostly grew up with comics. Mm-hmm. I don't think singers hung out with singers. Well,
1: singers and comics were playing the same night. Blues. Exactly.
2: So they bonded on the road together. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. a, a comic always opened for a singer. Oh, okay. So dad would, you know, if he was, had George Carlin for several weeks or at a time and hang out with, with George at that point in his life or Norm Crosby or Shecky Green. These were all the people I kind of grew up around.
0: That's now amazing. that I
2: knew was different than my friends because Tell us. I don't know how many eight or nine year olds would understand some of the comedy.
1: <laughs> <Right.
2: You know? laughs> because they're really very old school, and... Um,
1: well, these guys might have worked cleaner on television, but I'm sure they were filthy uh, behind the scenes. at
2: home. <laughs> there was definitely versions that kids should not hear. Yeah. My parents were cool, and I used to hide under the dining table. My dad had this long, long, like, beyond dining table that could sit, like, 16 people. Wow. Big, heavy wood. And I used to crawl underneath it and lay under there and listen to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I would tape them. (laughs) And at one point, I put it in a planter during dinner. (laughs) And then you know how back in the day, a tape recorder would just stop when the tape was at my dad heard it. What the hell? You know, he's looking at me, did you record that? And I'm like, don't, you can't do that. You know, he was like, later, years later, he'd be like, bring those tapes out. I want to hear those tapes, you know, because like a lot of his friends were passing away. Yeah. years. They were older. Those would
1: be so great to have. Do you have them?
2: I have them, and I haven't listened to them in a really long time. Oh, but, um, You can hear, you know, clanging and plates and forks and, you know, it's like th- it's people pouring wine and hearing these funny, I think their laughs made me do it. They yeah. were always laughing, and they were always yeah. laughing really loudly.
0: That's great, Allison. I love that. I guess I've always been an archivist. What you do now is you have an amazing Facebook page and following a vintage Los Angeles. But it's all of what has happened in the past. So just from you (laughs) sitting under the table recording, you must have (laughs) always wanting to remember this.
2: My mom sort of said it like, the day I was born, the hospital gave you a pin to the mother that said, she's a girl. Yeah. I like clutched onto that as early as I could as a kid. I think I was always starting to collect things Mm, to sort of tell my life. Mm. Not that I thought my life was any special at all. I think it had a lot to do with like the way kids collect toys. Mm -hmm. I was never – You know, I wasn't really into Barbies, and I I liked stuffed animals for a while. Then I started collecting things. Mm. I like matchbooks. I know it's crazy. I did not play with fire, but, like, there's one just sitting on my desk by complete coincidence. It's not even – this is just a joke. I'm I'm telling you, it's just coincidence. From the saloon in Beverly Hills. Come on. Which I probably took when I was, like, seven or eight years old. Mm -hmm. And I think when I went to these restaurants, so many of them were themed orientated. They were. That I wanted, like, oh, can I get some salt and pepper shakers from the Luau? out? Can I get those little tiki shakers and Yeah. No, there were no cell phones mm-hmm. back then, so you you really couldn't sit at the dinner table with your parents and be uh they couldn't here, keep yourself occupied. Here's your phone. Right. I listened a lot mm-hmm. to the adults talk. Mm-hmm. Or uh, my dad would give me a pen and I would take like a paper menu and I would draw on the back of it. I kept all those.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So you were a real collector. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think I was. I, I was. Think it's amazing. And
1: then how did that transition into collecting
2: the stories? The internet changed collecting to a whole other level. Tell us. You know, you can have physical things in your house, but how do you let the world know about these things? You know, that's yeah. why I don't. I mean, people say, "Oh, you should have a museum." Yes, sure, but I I can bring it online. I can do it online. I don't have to physically move everything to a to a place. I can. Show it to you online, you know. If I have a few hundred thousand followers, and I can show one matchbook, and it generates a bunch of comments, well, that was my father. He was the chef. He, you know, you never know. Like who's going to say what? That's right. And I, I think that what's really fun about collecting things from the era that we grew up in, rather than an era that we never witnessed, right, is that the comments of, of social media are not going to be as probably as as heartwarming because they'll remember things. Oh, I met my wife at El Fong's. She was the waitress. You know, like, whoa. um, Maybe if you show photos from the 1920s or 30s, they'll say, oh, I think my grandmother went there. You don't get as much information. So being a documentarian collector, I salvate over the stories that come out of these. Yeah, it'd be fun to have a museum, but I can't hear what they're saying. Right. You know, when they come to see my stuff.
1: Well, you're basically making an online museum. An
2: online museum. I said, it's like the, you know, whatever you can't find in a history book, come over to Vintage LA and...
0: What made you start Vintage LA and how how did you, were you able to grow such a large following? And it's so amazing. And how, when did it start? So it's like that timing thing again. Facebook has sort of just started.
2: Everybody was getting back together. Like Oh my God, all my classmates I hadn't seen in 20 years, 30 years are in this Facebook thing. What do they look like now? Oh, what are they doing? Are they married? That's like the first yeah. wave of getting on Facebook. Yeah. Then they'll have a group. If you know, you're from Beverly Hills 1989 class where then everyone's there. And then people start going, remember, remember this place. Remember when we grew up there. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm getting very nostalgic here. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I remember everything. And so I started little groups at first by doing like the Westwood group, Westwood mm. village group in the eighties or uh, the ship's copy shop. Remember flippers, the, you know, roller sure. skating <laughs> rink that's now a CVS. I started a group for that and everyone started joining them and everyone started telling stories. And then I, I thought, well, Vintage LA is sort of a place that everyone can come on. So it's not mm. just Westwood or Beverly Hills or Hollywood or, or downtown. It's everything. Vintage LA sums up the whole city. Even the Valley was two and three back then. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. It took off and like within the first year or so, I think I had 10,000 followers, which I thought was a outrageous. You right. Know? And now it's almost, well... The reach now is $1.8 million. Wow.
1: Oh, pretty wow. amazing. Congratulations.
2: Congrats. look at it like this. I curate it. Even that word is so overused. But I curate, I host it, and I start a conversation. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, I imagine it's unbelievable amount of work.
2: It's, it's several hours a day, every day. I don't skip. You post more than once a day, too. Sometimes, you know, I don't like to oversaturate the news feeds, but people seem to like it. Hmm. I walk away for an hour, and a thread has gone on. I can't wait to come back and read it. I get a gift at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, I get yeah. to read all these stories I never know. And like you could never know enough about anything. Mm-hmm. So I feel um, at the end of the day, I get to kind of, you know, unwind, relax, open up the phone and go, wow, 480 comments on, wow. you know, uh, 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 the Tony Romas. <laughs> you know, like. And then my mom will go, how many people could possibly see that much about Tony Robbins? That's right. <laughs>
1: well, everybody remembers it. everyone
2: that. has their own memories. Exactly. You know? And and so those are the things that I love. I love, I just, without the internet, even without, you know, podcasting, that's the internet, I don't think I could do what I'm doing to this level mm-hmm. without right. it. You right. know?
1: And you also do it on television.
2: I'm part of a show called The SoCal Scene on Spectrum News. Yeah, I saw. So rewarding and wonderful and beyond beyond. It's it's the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me, because I'm able to tell my stories on camera, and you can hear me, which is not, it's not as important to hear me, but it's important, I think, for me to show the passion I have, and to show that I'm not reading on the teleprompter, and I'm not, you know, I'm doing this for the love of, of the city, mm-hmm. and I get to meet really interesting people, and I want them to shine. I, I think the whole show's about a place or, yeah. or, or or a person i think we're going into our third year now
1: oh that's great
2: when is that show on it's on spectrum one i know and yes it's on spectrum one so and everyone asks well do i have to have spectrum no there's a, it's actually on the spectrum app now
1: oh very cool
2: Great. And there's an app and you can, my shows are on there. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. I also, I
2: also share them on the Vintage LA Facebook page. Yes. So.
0: I, I, I saw yeah. a couple on there yeah. too. So it's really fun. That's really must be exciting for you to do that. It's
2: really, really fun. And it's really, like I said, it's rewarding. It's also, I think it's helpful and it helps our city. Yes, for sure. There's just been so much has changed. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up around the corner from the Sheik's house. Oh, yes. If anyone's listening, look up Sheik Ali Fasi on my face. I mean, that was I. I wrote this article about that. It took me years to write it.
1: Oh, that is a topic that we do want to cover on the podcast, thing.
2: I mean, anytime. I have done more research on this chic. You know that the, the sheik, it's a chic son. You know, moved to L.A. But he was a sheik. Yeah, you know, he wanted to open up a discotheque, and right. you know, he wanted to be really in with the neighbors. But how he didn't succeed with that was putting naked statues. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: the naked people on Sunset. With fake fur. With on hair. And hair and, like, you know.
1: And painted nipples.
0: Painted nipples. <laughs> All in very peculiar
2: colors, you yes. know.
1: This was a gigantic mansion right Come on Sunset mansion. Boulevard.
2: The Whittier Estate. The most beautiful home at one point, the Whittier Estate. And when the sheik took it over, he actually painted it green but Mm -hmm. it was not green of a green that we know (laughs) this was manure green like manure i mean it it was like it just was the uh, cruddiest looking green you know uh, and then that's again the statues went up and uh, it was just so amazing i've never seen more car accidents in front of that house (laughs) because every it was the top attraction i don't care if natalie would live there you're right. Or Jack Benny lived over there. They went to see that Sheikh's house.
1: Well, this was a crazy time in Beverly Hills because there was the Iranian revolution. Yes. And yeah. so many people from Iran moved to Beverly Hills and there was protesting going on. Oftentimes we had to be walked to school yep. by, you know, kind of escorted. And it was a really crazy time. And it kind of just changed everything in Beverly Hills.
2: It did. It did. And he was a big part of it.
0: Hey, Allison, was The Sheik's House, was that the house where The Jerk was filmed? So yes,
2: The Jerk was filmed at The Sheik's House. My friend, Carl Gottlieb, wrote The Jerk, and I said to him, what was it like shooting at The Sheik's House with Steve Martin? He said, well, it was the only time in the movie we didn't have to set dress anything. No. Oh. It
1: was all perfect for that—a
2: clam-shaped bed, and you know, really, <laughs> you know, really gaudy paintings on the wall, and a full-on disco. And um, that's awesome.
1: I love that movie. I'm going to look at it much differently
2: now. Definitely worth rewatching for LA purposes for sure. You know, LA, LA movies. Um, and I know Down at Beverly Hills is one of the best, but The Jerk is up there. That's why there too. I mean, it's and Century I, City too. Yes, and Century City was a completely different place. And I, I wrote a story about that recently that I'm proud of because, again, it was all about the photographs.
0: I read it and it was really good. And I loved when you talked about heaven and I loved cuties yeah. and, and oh, I mean, Century City was everything.
2: I have been told that I'm in the um, make people cry business.
1: <laughs> oh. Well, you make me smile, not cry. I know. I
2: think I tear, I tear at the heartstrings because of my stories. Mm-hmm. Our, they go right back to the root of your child, inner child, you know? Yeah. And, And things that sometimes, again, that they'll say on my threads, I didn't even remember. And I'll Mm. cry over something. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Documenting is so important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do enjoy it. It never feels like a job. Wow. But it's something I don't know if I'll ever stop doing.
1: Yeah. yeah. You're kind of taking on the legacy of Huell Hauser. Do you ever think about that?
2: In a digital way. Yeah. Yes, I've been told many times, but I think I'm more... Well,
1: of course, we all love and remember Huell Hauser. He's been gone a while.
2: I don't see myself like that, but I appreciate uh-huh. the the comparison very much because <laughs> there's not a lot of us doing this kind of thing. But um, I also love Ralph's story, and mm, I think that yeah. he's probably my number one for the journalistic side of it, doing it on the, on news programs. You know, I yeah. think that the SoCal scene I do is almost like a combo of Ralph's story and Gilhauser. Mm. because I am uh, in a reality based going through places with people that give it that Heelhauser feel. Mm-hmm. But it's also yeah. a news program. Yeah.
1: And you're an insider. He was an outsider, Heelhauser.
2: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. It is so hard to compare on any level. We just have our way. Uh,
1: well, he was a different generation. A different
2: you. generation. He, and also yeah. the internet is such a... People have called me the the DeLorean of the internet, mm. which is very a great 80s sort of throwback reference for me. And I do mm-hmm. feel, and I know you guys will both appreciate this, we grew up half our lives without the internet. Yes. yes. You know, and half our lives without cell phones. And yes. we seemed to be just fine. Yes. You know, we got along. So I can tell stories of not being at all an on, on online, press. I don't, I never knew what Google was, right. till, I, you know, 20 years ago or something. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, when I would do this sort of thing before the internet, I went to the library. mm There was no eBay. I couldn't find the books I was looking for. So I had to go to the library or I had to go to flea markets or you'd ask your parents, friends, hey, mom, does your friend down the street have a matchbook collection for the last 30 years I can go through? And and that's how it started. So my collection was already I mean, it's like this now, but I mean, it was small, but Mm -hmm. I managed to find things through people.
0: That's awesome.
1: I might have a few for you. I got to look through some boxes.
2: Please, I'm open to all <laughs> kinds of things I don't have.
1: My grandparents did collect matches. Wow. They did.
2: There are some I'm really looking for, by the way. Okay. But um, you know, I also think that remember we used to have the recycler? You yes. know, and oh, you yeah. used to put something in the recycler what you're looking for. Mhm.
1: That was kind of an on paper version of Craigslist.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but you were hoping most, more people looked at it than they do. And yeah. you know, like, I, I used to put ads in there wow. for, you know, Look looking for old menus. of. I really started out with Beverly Hills. That was the first.
0: How old were you when you started doing this? Like when you were 20, young? Like, 25. Oh, after oh, you know, school.
2: 25 years ago. That's I'm 50 awesome. now. So 25 years. Then when I started at E! Entertainment Television,
0: Yes, I want to hear about that.
2: Yeah, and I started producing a show called Mysteries and Scandals of all shows. It happened to be about old Hollywood. Wow. So I was able to acquire on my budget, show budget, materials for the show. Mm. And once in a while, i slip in there something for me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, but I mean, I had a budget to go to Hollywood Boulevard and go in these old cinema shops and look for things to help tell my story. That's great. So if we're talking about Marilyn Monroe, who went to Chasen's, we would reenact uh, a Chasen's. So I'd get a Chasen's ashtray, maybe a, maybe a stir that says, H, you know, one of the, um, why am I blanking? The um,
1: Swizzle sticks. Swizzle
2: sticks. So I would like go to Hollywood Boulevard and like, do you have any swizzle sticks from old restaurants? <laughs> they thought I was nuts, you know? <laughs> and they were like, well, yeah, there might be something. And every now and then they would put things aside for me because I did that show for like five years. Right, yeah. And That's at right. the end of the show run, I had some cool stuff. That was like L.A. Hollywood related. Mm-hmm. And then I would acquire photographs of so you telling us like Marilyn Monroe or James Dean stories. You always told, talked about Hollywood and where they went and where they, you yeah. know, where they shopped, where they, where they had dinner. And so I would get photographs of the Villa Capri, you know, or Friscotti's or Chasen's. And, and then I would uh, be able to make copies of those. And so I had like a file of photographs. Wow. So when I started Vintage L.A., 20 years later, 15 years later, I already had a, a stash Mm. Of photos I could start posting.
0: That's great.
1: That's so cool that you were interested in for so long.
2: Yeah, way before this. Yeah. Yeah. Now it turned into a a thing. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) a a brand? I don't know. I mean, who, I never would have thought that my love for old, and it's not old Hollywood, it's old LA. Yeah. And there is a difference because. When people ask me to do old Hollywood podcasts, sometimes I don't do them because I don't know that much about old Hollywood right. as I do about places and things and where people lived. And uh-huh. I love movies. They're my first love, but I'm not a Hollywood historian. Right.
1: Going back to high school, did you have any idea that you would be doing something? No, like this? never,
2: never, never, never. I wanted to be a drummer. I wanted <laughs> oh, to, a drummer? I wanted to be a drummer. I, I, went, I was in bands and stuff. Like, I wanted to be. A rock star, you know? Were you a singer? No, I wanted... To, I did. I, I sang in choir. I was terrible. Oh. I was nothing like my dad, but I wanted to play the drums. I was actually not bad.
0: At the drums.
2: The drums, I was good. At piano, I thought I was good, and I, I really annoyed everyone really bad. But um, <laughs> and then I thought I was going to do that. But and I went to music school, Grove Music School, and I couldn't read music okay. to save my life. So I had I had an ear. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always music in my house. So yeah. I picked yeah. up on the ear. was It was... Just, Constant musicians in and out of the house, but no, I never imagined that this would be. You know, after I did the e- Mysteries and scandal show, uh reality TV kind of came in and took over, and I had to go do that. You worked on a lot of
1: cool reality I shows. Did. A lot of my favorites.
2: You did really okay. I uh, yeah,
1: I mean, I love Trading Spaces, Celebrity Rehab, and Intervention.
2: Oh my god, those are god. three that
1: I would religiously those are good watch.
2: Ones.
0: I watch, I watch them, too.
2: I. It's funny, with the line of work I do now, I never talk about that era of my life. So it is yeah. interesting to talk about. I mean, I could tell you some stuff <laughs> later. Oh another God,
1: one. I, I mean,
2: I have so many stories. Celebrity
1: about, Rehab must have been the wildest show ever <laughs> made.
2: I have more stories about Celebrity Rehab than probably any show I've ever worked on. Oh, Canada and, Canada. and Intervention, because the two, the, the two were different in many ways. The Intervention was more of a, a documentary. Yeah. Documentaries, uh, TV. They were very, very sick. The Mm -hmm, problem was with that show, not a problem, it's the wrong word. i say, as a producer, there are things that you have to be okay with to sleep at night. Okay. And when I was first going out for that job to be a producer on intervention, the creator said, um, We're following the life of a person who's addicted to drugs, addicted to sex, addicted to stealing, all kinds of uh, problems, but we're going to help them and get them into rehab. You cannot tell them there's going to be an intervention during this process. Mm-hmm. You also can't tell them what show it is, and you can't use your real name. Oh, my God. And we have a different production company, quote, unquote.
1: It was always a surprise intervention. Yeah.
2: I Yes, I can do that. If it helps them. Mm-hmm. I came on the show after there was already a few seasons, mm-hmm. and I saw it was working. You know, yeah. the ratio yeah. was working. So, uh, okay, but it was a challenge mm-hmm. when you become friendly with them. Mm. And you kind of do that to them at the end. and uh, You
1: have to go to a strange city and see this life on the street. I mean,
2: I had guns pointed at me. I've had, I mean, I, producers running for their lives. Wow. Um, Because we used to put, uh, you know, microphones on our people we cast for our show. And they would, basically, they're living the life and we're just recording it. We're not, at the end of the day, they're going to be off drugs. We're going to show them what their life is like. You know, their parents were on board. Their families were on board. Their 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 loved ones were on board. Everyone gave us permission. We wouldn't just go in and do this. And right, we did not support them with any money. Wow, I couldn't take any money to buy any drugs or anything like that. But there were times when I would get into the into. I was following Mike Starr around from mm-hmm. Allison Chains, and I thought he was a little more than just addicted. So I, I really thought he was mentally ill. You yeah. know, and and there comes a point where I, as a producer, cannot help him.
0: Mm-hmm. He needs. Help. Serious like help. Like I went to
2: like commitment, committed. Right. And I was in a van with him filming him uh, doing drugs with his dad in a van. Wow. And it got so bad in there that I got high. Wow. I'm sorry. He's passed away now. Mm. I called Dr. Drew and I said, this one is different. Yeah. I think we're going to have to get this one different kind of help. And I don't know if he'll do it. I don't know if he'll right. be willing to do it, but I'm out of here.
0: <laughs> wow! You know, uh,
2: because it's I'm a producer. I'm not a drug counselor, right? But I became yeah. one. You know, I, I sat in about forty to fifty AA meetings with them all. You know, I really learned a lot, mm-hmm. and I learned yeah. about. I just learned a lot, and I really am just so so grateful for the experience. Yeah, so incredibly grateful. Do You Have was totally different because they know what they're in for. Yeah, and they're getting paid.
0: Yeah,
1: that seemed like one of the crazier shows because you have these crazy people. <laughs> they're trying to get off drugs. You take away all their drugs and you put them in a room together. It's going to be chaos.
2: That, weren't they in a house? That was sober house. The first round, they're going into treatment. Right. They're in a hospital uh, that Dr. Drew was a specialist there. And it was actually, you know, real hospital, real recovery wow. going on in there. Um, we put them away in a different area. Mm. But yeah, Dennis Rodman, you know, is going to get a million dollars. So Wow. And again, I, ch- I chose the night shift on that show. Mm. Not because I knew they'd sleep. <laughs> at
1: night. Did they sleep at night?
2: Sometimes. Not real. I mean, no, they all were all different hours. Yeah. But um, I felt I actually could know them a little better. Mm. Because like yeah. during the day, the executives were coming by and there's more producers and there's production assistants running all over and there's craft service and there's, yeah, there's more cameramen and it just felt like chaos all the time. Yeah. And then when I would come in around 11 o'clock at night, there'd be like a stripped down crew, like seven of us. I filmed. I was one yeah. of the, you know, filmers. So, I got to do some of my own camera work and and do my interviews with them and find out where their heads were every day. And and then we moved them into sober living. Wow. And that's where it got crazier, (laughs) especially especially the first season. Yeah. That was bad. Yeah. How could a producer be prepared for any of that?
0: I can't imagine. You know, I mean,
2: yes, you have drug counselors on site and they're there. If one just goes fleeing from the house and decides he's going to get crazy again and Go buy drugs. We're following him in a, van, like in, a, in, a, in a van behind him like narcs. Wow. You know, and then if they end wow. up meeting up with someone who's going to give them drugs and we're right. filming it, we do look like cops. Yeah. So that's why, like, I'd have guns, like, you know, we need to back up. We need to get out of here. You know, wow. I mean, but I was really committed to the show, really committed. I, I really liked a lot of them. Rodney King was one of my favorite people.
0: Oh, wow. that I ever met
2: and he felt like he didn't deserve to be there. He had a inferiority complex. Yeah, that I felt was so different than most celebrities mm. who actually don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> they actually like attention and yeah. want to have more airtime and he didn't. And I always felt when I would sit out with him at the sober house we had, there was an outdoor pool. And when everyone was sleeping, him and I would just, I'd put my camera down, take off my microphone, and we would sit and and sit on the lawn chairs and talk for hours. That's cool. And he said, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why would they want me here. I'm not a celebrity. I would say, make the best of it. It's a God-given gift. These are gifts. Yeah. You know, if you can get free counseling and, I don't know, it didn't work out. You know, he passed away. And I had to deal with a lot of that. I lost a lot of friends from that show. So sad. Addiction is the worst thing. And I, I won't go back to that sort of lifestyle of producing that kind of work anymore. Good. So then I moved into this business, which is the complete opposite of just telling... Well, it's still
1: telling stories. It is telling stories, yeah. You got proficient at it, and... Thanks. You're great at
2: yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Sorry I went down that road right there, but I had not talked about celebrity rehab in a long time. No, but it's good, Allison. It just shows how many different areas of expertise that you haven't been involved in or telling the stories of. I think it's yeah, really guess... cool that you've had these different chapters
2: i think that you know that's very interesting i never looked at it that way is um each job anyone has that you go into another job you learn something from the past one and Mm -hmm. as a reality tv producer that i was for 10 years that's probably why Mm -hmm. i document so much because i cover everything in reality tv you have to cover everything did you get that shot did you get that shot of them just drinking coffee (laughs) you know like and now I like, I, I, you know, I overly shoot and I overly, um, yeah. and I love Instagram for Instagram stories, how you can shoot a little bit of your life or where you are or places that you've been. That's just great. And it's, yeah. it's so fun. I don't know what would happen if they ever took my internet away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Not going don't to. worry. They
2: won't. God, I couldn't do it. I'm like, I'm worse than the 10 year old. <laughs>
1: Allison, let's circle back and tell us a little bit about your high school experience.
0: Yeah, I want to hear about, weren't you, were you friends with Monica Lewinsky or the Menendez brothers were your grade?
1: You had some of the more infamous people in your class.
0: You had uh, the Mysteries and Scandals people. Isn't that funny (laughs) that they
2: went to my school and then I went to do Mysteries and Scandals? Yes. because
0: you do one on them?
2: I did one on the Menendez, yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Not okay. not Monica, but Menendez, um, yeah. Because I did a, a Mysteries and Scandals where I thought, outside of the box, I didn't want to do a person anymore. I want oh, to do a city. So I did Beverly Hills Babylon. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> which, which I'll try to get loaded. I'll put it back on YouTube. Please it, do. It was everything from, you know, Doheny Mansion Estate, that bizarre murder, the double murder there. From that to the Menendez to Manson. And then to George Michael in the park, to Zsa Zsa mm. slapping the cop. Oh, it, I love it. It was a really good show. I did it in 99, so long oh, ago. It felt so good, though. Um, but yes, yeah, so everyone always asked me, you know, who did you go to school with? Who was your, you know, like, well, I had more of the infamous, you know, uh, kids that, that came. Way. But yeah, I, did, I, went, I graduated with Eric Menendez. Okay. And Monica was, I think, two years younger than me. We were in acting class together. Okay. Did the Menendez go to Hawthorne with you? No. no.
0: No, then you go to Hawthorne.
2: No, either did Monica. I the Menendez came in the last year oh. of, of high school. Oh. So we didn't know them that well. Okay. But I did go to their house. I went to you the did? house. I could picture the house. Yeah. Wow. And and I even went to the house after it happened. Wow. Yeah, that was so shocking because it's one of those sort of murders that you don't you don't think they did it at first.
0: Right. You know, yeah. and, and
2: you're like, oh, poor Eric. It's like when we first heard about O.J. Simpson's, like when Nicole died, or, oh, that yeah. poor O.J. You know? <laughs> like you know, oh, he must feel terrible. Um, poor O.J. <laughs> well, I said it. I had been I had been to a I had been to a pediatric AIDS party one week before that, the, those murders, and we saw and you saw them. Yeah, I saw O.J.
1: Yeah, OJ was around everywhere. He my was, uncle was yeah. good friends with OJ, and he was somebody we'd see a lot.
2: Oh my God! I wish I had gotten a picture of him, and just to have, because I doc because of the way I document. I wish I did, but I saw him, and the next Sunday, my mom comes running in, going, "You won't believe this, Nicole, uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, OJ's ex wife was murdered." Wow! And we just saw him, yeah. and I go, wow. "Poor, a poor OJ." You know? <laughs>
1: Nobody's saying that now. No.
2: No, we caught on right away. We caught on quick. Right away. And the Menendez was a similar thing where I was working in a rock and roll memorabilia shop and my best friend called me. She lived on Elm too. Yeah. And said, you won't believe this. Eric and Lyle Menendez's parents were, parents were murdered. It's all over the news. And she goes, and I was just on the news too. And I went, okay. So I'm like at this store and I go, turn on the TV. There was a TV there. And there's my friend in her white convertible LeBaron. <laughs> pulling up next like to the Menendez, the news crews everywhere, you know, and she had the line that they repeated over and over on the news. Things like this just don't happen in Beverly Hills. People's parents getting murdered, you know, and then, and I think it was my dad said, yeah, right. They were murdered by the mafia. Sure. You know, I don't think we bought that for too long. <laughs> right.
1: I do think they were abused by you know, their yeah. father.
2: And why are you killing, why are you killing your mom?
1: Yeah, You know, I mean, no, they, and then you go back... They took it a little too far.
2: It's beyond a little, you know. <laughs> I mean, they planned they were it. Excessive. They are excessive. I mean, can't you drug them instead? Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. did you have to kill him in the shoot her in the face five times? I know we're getting very <sighs> bad here, but I just... I don't have a lot of sympathy. I have sympathy yeah. for people who are abused, of course. Yeah.
1: How about Monica? I do have sympathy for her. She's
2: the sweetest. Just love her. And I...
1: I think if that happened today, it would be treated, you know, with a, a Me Too movement in mind. I mean, her life would have been a lot different.
2: Yeah, yeah she's sensitive. I made her cry once in school. Aww. <laughs> and uh. it was over an audition thing with, that I some something we were auditioning for. I got in and she didn't. And, oh. and it was like, because she was in the drama department. Whatever, I loved her. She was great. I didn't know her that well. Yeah. I felt a lot for her when all that came out. Yeah. You know, and I thought yeah. she was really strong. To yeah. go through all that, yeah, and you're right. I think incredibly right. strong,
1: even to this day, the way she can talk about it.
2: She's really amazing, and yeah, and you're right. There was no "me too" to sort of blanket Nothing. you. You know, put a blanket over. She, your, was, blamed. she it was, was blamed. She was blamed way yeah. around. You know, It like was like Amy Fisher,
1: own. Monica Lewinsky. These people who are, mm-hmm. you know, now we would consider. A victim were considered the instigator. See,
2: there are things that are good about about the future and moving forward, and how things have gotten better in that sense.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I don't think we would blame anyone today for that. And it's right. it a different And, th- yeah. and social media has helped. Yeah. You know, social media helps. You know, you can actually have your own forum and tell your stories. And it's true. I do like seeing her out there, and, and she's, she's very cool. She's, yeah. you know, we, we're grown ups now. We're grown up now. I know yeah. when she was 16 years old. Yeah. That's a great story about um, the Menendez is, is a little freakier' freaky yeah. to me because I just being in LA at the time when that story was unfolding was mm-hmm. creep was really creepy yeah you know that yeah. like like we went to the same counselor in school yeah. and, and you know and then he's like, I don't know try to and you convince your brother to do the same thing. How do you do that
0: Crazy.
2: I always heard like my my best friend's mother, Richard Dreyfus, was like in her class. And David Schwimmer went to Beverly. So he was a couple years older. He was an artist. Oh, okay. There you go. Angelina Jolie is a couple years younger. I mean, like I said, I didn't realize till later that some of the people I grew up with's parents were Were famous. Were famous. Yeah. Yeah. Or or worked in the studios and, you know, their names and, you know.
1: You can say them as fast or slow as you want. Some of your very favorite places in past and present Beverly Hills.
2: My very favorite place as well. I think my earliest memory of anything in Beverly Hills was going to the luau for my first birthday. Oh, wow. I actually remember it because wow. I mean, they're flashes fast. They're yeah. not, you know, but I remember the waterfall. I remember I'm sure it wasn't just in my head, but I do remember drinks on fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I remember the moat around the place. And I mean, if I could bring back that, that would be wow. So the luau, Alphonse, used to yeah. love Alphonse, you go downstairs, my dad used to say, we're going down to China, you know, because like, <laughs> these stairs would like take you down.
1: Ah Fong's was one of my favorites, and Nate Nell's because it was next door to the toy store, so I could always go to the toy store if we were going to one of those two restaurants. I think that's we lived
2: true. we lived the same life. The toy mart was toy like mart. that. The toy but mart. Remember yes. the remember the lady with the big eyes? Yes. Yeah.
1: And the punch card. You would get a punch card if you bought yeah. something, and then if you filled it up, you'd get like a discount.
2: No. If oh, yeah. Dad... They had
1: a punch card. Do you have,
2: it? I don't have okay. a punch card. See, that's what I asked. Do you have that punch card? Sure. you like, I want the punch. I card. want <laughs> the punch card. I miss Hamburger Hamlet. Yeah. You know, there was like a place that was so great in Beverly. I was only there for a minute. It was called Chicks. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. And you could go in and write your name on the wall and they sold hot dogs or whatever, but you could, you, you, you could like draw things and then he would clean it the next like a week later you'd start again. Yeah. There were a lot of
0: candy shops.
1: Yeah, Edelweiss.
0: Edelweiss. Thank God we have Edelweiss. Edel, yep. Edelweiss. It's still there. Oh, gummy bears and Coke bottle. I would leave school, walk to <laughs> Edelweiss, get yeah. my gummy bears and Coke bottles, and yep. I was in heaven. That was, and speaking of heaven, Ugh, you know. Speaking of
2: heaven. The heaven shop in Century City, Camp Beverly mm. Hills, Fiorucci. Do, oh. do you remember a place in Century City called the Bijou? Yes. That I miss. That yes. was like, that was. That into- was
0: around the corner from. Where I think where Judy's yeah it was I right remember. around the corner. And totally, it was, they were owned by the people who owned Heaven. Yeah, and they, it was
2: like first introduction to me of, of really like movies because they sold movie posters. Yeah, they had the posters, lobby yeah. cards, and I, they just played Yellow Submarine up there on the screen. And yeah. your mom would go shopping, and you could watch Yellow Submarine. Yeah, these are the kind of things I miss. Clifton's cafeteria. Oh. In, yes in
1: oh god I hated that ah! I hated that I hated going there
2: that is funny that is really funny I don't think my dad was a big fan of it either
0: but oh, I, I, liked so it. Ah! I, li- I liked it so gross <laughs> I liked it I went with my grandparents Not my grandparents me too parents, they would too. me and I'd be like oh god no 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 <laughs> Nails, please
2: grew up going to Nate Niles thank yeah. god we have that
0: it's yeah. still yeah. the
2: same I don't know what's the fate of the place I know they're, they're gonna be okay thank you Irving Azoff for saving yeah. it but I don't know where they're moving to yeah, we'll see. It, we'll see. I kind of wish they'd stay where they are. But, yeah, you know, the train tracks. I mean, oh, we, the, the Wonder Bread going Wonder through. Yeah, I, I miss that. Those are early memories. Yeah. I mean, who would think that a train was going right through Santa Monica, through Beverly Hills, all the way to the beach, all the way downtown, yeah. carrying Wonder Bread? Yeah. And the smell was just, God, I think that's yeah. everyone's young, like growing yeah. up, and miss, misses that. Yeah. Uh, Jacobo's Pizza. For sure. Yeah, for sure. But, no, I could go on and on. We need a part two.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Allison, you're just so great.
2: I'll always have affection for my
0: hometown. Well, it loves you. Thank you. That's so (laughs) nice. And thank you. And you're doing
1: so much for it. We really appreciate it, and we love your everything that you do your facebook your tv thanks and yeah we love gives it gives us a thrill
0: that's so fun <laughs> we were looking forward to talking with you for a while and we're so honored to have you on and you have the most incredible stories and again thank you thank you and thank you thank you, you for were, having me you rock bye, bye allison bye
1: bye welcome to the beverly hills breakdown
0: oh it's our favorite time it's the breakdown what do we got today david
1: well, let's talk a little bit, a little bit more about Al Martino. I mean, he was so interesting. We didn't cover nearly any of his life story.
0: No, he's a show on to itself. Uh, just the fact of how he got to Hollywood, how he ended up having to leave Hollywood, come back, the mafia, so many things involved with Al Martino. And he's an incredible singer.
1: One of the things I really missed when I was listening back to this recording, Allison talks about how he would be fourth billing in his own movie. And she named Frank Sinatra having higher billing, but then she also named Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) And I'd really love to find out the stories about Marilyn Monroe and her father.
0: That sounds very interesting. We're going to have to do that. Also, there's so many interesting things about Al Martino. We also feel that if you want to learn more about him, you can hop onto YouTube and watch some of his videos and see how his personality shines through.
1: Yeah, there's some interviews on YouTube, too, and you see what a cool guy he was.
0: Super cool.
1: One of the people that Allison remembers seeing around town, who was so famous, was Lucy. And we love Lucy,
0: we do love Lucy, and we talked about Lucille Ball. Right after she passed away in 1989, my family moved into her house. My mom had found in a back room where they had all these Lou films and stuff, a canister with a lot of Lucy's jewelry, oh. and my mom didn't know what to do with it. So she had Lucy Arnez's, her daughter's phone number, was able to get in touch with them and Lucy Arnaz came back to get the jewelry, but I think my mom was bummed because they didn't really say thank you or they're too excited that they got it back. But anyways, my mom did return Lucy's jewelry back to her daughter.
1: Hmm. And I remember in high school, uh, she was so friendly and she loved backgammon and she would recruit Beverly High School students to play backgammon with her. Oh, Wow. Then she mentioned thrifties and that was a drugstore in Beverly Hills that was became a chain. I don't know how many thrifties there were when we grew up, but the thrifties we loved was in the kind of the east end of Beverly Hills. And we all loved it.
0: We loved it because you got to get three scoops of ice cream for twenty five cents.
1: Yes, they had the cheapest ice cream in the entire world. And the
0: most (laughs) delicious.
1: And it tasted good. I think they still brand, maybe Rite Aid brands their ice cream as Thrifty's ice cream today. Yeah, I think
0: all Thrifty stores are now Rite Aid, so they do have Thrifty's ice cream still, but it's not 25 cents.
1: No, I think it's still cheap, but not 25 cents. I think I remember it as a nickel a scoop and then a dime a scoop. Uh,
0: Well, you know, all I remember is a quarter for a lot.
1: Oh, and then the scoops were weird. They were like a weird shape. They weren't round. They were like small cylinders.
0: Exactly. You know, they had a metal thing and they stuck them into the ice cream. And it just came out like exactly like a metal cylinder.
1: My go-to was a double scoop. One scoop orange sherbet, one vanilla. So it made kind of like a creamsicle.
0: Ooh, not bad. I liked a rainbow sherbet myself.
1: If I would get one scoop, it would be rainbow sherbet.
0: <laughs> Twins.
1: <laughs> then... She brings up Nate and and that's really what is a staple for everybody in Beverly Hills. I don't think there's anybody who ever lived in Beverly Hills who didn't eat at Nate Nowles. That is true. And it was the Jewish deli and a place for everybody to hang out.
0: It was the best Jewish deli in Beverly Hills. It was the only place to be.
1: Old and young celebrities you would spot there. And people could have a charge account where you could just charge everything to your family. And people really abused that as kids, I think.
0: For sure, it was uh, before uh, no cash was needed. We really enjoyed it.
1: One of our friends, uh, Patrick, he looked a lot (laughs) like Griffin O'Neill, Ryan O'Neill's son. He did. And we would go to Nate Nell's, and they would not believe he was not Griffin (laughs) O'Neill. And they would not let us pay.
0: That's awesome. They just said,
1: oh, don't worry about it. We got the whole check.
0: (laughs) No problem, Griffin. We'll see you later.
1: (laughs) So we would eat for free. Sorry, Ryan O'Neill, you probably paid our bill.
0: Oh, well. One of our other favorites that we talk about is the Hamburger Hamlet, which uh, closed down just a few years ago, and it was so iconic. I mean, there were a few locations in town, and they had big red booths and you would get really onion soup fondue with the cheese melted on top and just incredible food. We loved it. All the stars were always there. It was kind of like a local hangout.
1: Uh, the people who owned the Hamlet also own two of my other favorite restaurants. They had what started as the Hamlet Gardens in Westwood, and that just became the gardens. And it's a beautiful building. And then they also owned Cape Manolini's, which is one of my favorite place was one of my favorite places to eat. Yeah, another
0: great L.A. staple, Kate Mandolini.
1: And a really fun place to hang out after hours. Totally. Oh, she mentioned one I hate, Clifton's Cafeteria. (laughs) She's talking about the one in Century City. There's actually a really famous one downtown that they've restored. And Clifton's Cafeteria was actually a really interesting place because during the Depression, he decided to feed everybody. And anybody who came into Clifton's would get a free meal if they couldn't afford it.
0: Wow, that's really cool.
1: The one downtown is themed and it has all like stuffed bears and a waterfall and really cool decorations, but the one in Century City was really boring.
0: Kind of like a school cafeteria.
1: Yeah, it was more like a school cafeteria and they had things like jello and it it was gross.
0: Yeah, it was gross, but all the grandmas took you there. Every time your grandma came in, you went to Clifton's.
1: That was in Century City, and that's something Allison talks about, is Century City. Oh, yeah.
0: We talk a lot about Century City, because Century City was our biggest mall right next to where we lived in Beverly Hills.
1: It was always an outdoor mall. Yep. We never had an indoor mall anywhere near Beverly Hills when we were growing up. The first one was in the Valley in Encino.
0: And we never went to the Valley, because we were from Beverly Hills.
1: I've still never been there. (laughs) But Century City was the closest thing we had to a mall, and it it was nice. It was outdoors, and you could go to the supermarket. There was a Gelson's, and that
0: major department stores, and these really awesome specialty stores that we had called Heaven and Judy's, and just really Bijou and really cool stores there.
1: It's located just east of the high schools. I remember going under a fence in this back field that the high school had, crawling under and going to Century City during lunch.
0: Wow, you were really escaping from school to get to Century City. Yeah. Well, it's awesome, and they just redid the Century City Mall very recently, like a year or two ago, and it looks completely different. has not the same vibe, so it's not as nostalgic and lovely as it was, but i got to tell you, the new one is very nice and rocking.
1: It is really fancy, but the only way I can navigate it is to think, well, this is where the Gelson's parking lot (laughs) used to be, and that's where I'm parked.
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) It's very disorienting at times for somebody who remembers the old one.
0: Exactly.
1: Westwood is just west of Beverly Hills, and we could take the bus there, and it was just a really thriving, exciting place. It's kind of a village that was the servicing UCLA. It was
0: Well, it's kind of like the village town of UCLA. So if you're a student on UCLA, you hang out in Westwood. It's like where you would go get lunch. and
1: It's just below the UCLA campus.
0: Yep. And when we grew up, that was kind of like back in the day where you would get in your car, you'd walk around uh, in the weekends, and you would either cruise the streets with your car and either try to talk to people walking on the street. Sometimes people would hop in the car, and you would start...
1: Did that happen to you, Stacy?
0: It did.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I want to find out who that was.
0: <laughs> I forget his name. Ugh. It was so long ago.
1: But it was also had tons of movie theaters, and they were huge old movie theaters, and that's where we would go see movies as well. I remember seeing Star Wars there, every big movie, and we'd have to wait in line for big blockbusters. And...
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. And we would get some Stan's Donuts while we're waiting.
1: Oh, I love Stan's donuts that just went out of business, I know, unfortunately. I they know. had my favorite donut, which, which is, is actually called the Hewell Hauser, <laughs> named after Huell Hauser, who we'll talk about. But it was a, a giant stuffed donut with peanut butter and then had chocolate on top.
0: Oh, that sounds good, actually. Yeah. But I'm more of a Boston cream kind of person.
1: Oh, you were blowing it. Yeah. Oh, you know what I really loved in Westwood was Falafel King.
0: Oh, yeah, totally the best. The
1: greatest falafel. Ever. Yeah. And speaking of Huell Hauser, Huell Hauser was this guy on public television who would go around and talk about different places in Los Angeles. And he had this kind of attitude, like he was seeing everything for the first time and everything was amazing. No matter where he went in Los Angeles, he'd just be like... Oh, wow. And it could be <laughs> like a, a mailbox. <laughs> but he he loved our city. And before him, there was a guy named Ralph Story. Ralph Story kind of looked at places more from a news point of view. And he would report on them rather than kind of experience them with the people that, that were there now, like Huell Hauser did. And he had segments on the news, he had his own shows. And then he would talk about things that were no longer in Los Angeles. I see how Allison says she relates more to Ralph's story because she's more about preserving what's being missed and missing what is gone.
0: Uh, She's more like a a documentarian.
1: Yeah, and I think she gets more into the places and lets people then chime in their memories. Mm. So she's, you know, I think that's kind of what Ralph's story did more than Kuhl Hauser would jump right in and start asking people, well, what do you think of this if he was right. in an ice cream parlor, what do you think of this ice cream? Do you come <laughs> here a lot? Wow. Amazing.
0: <laughs> Little different styles.
1: Yeah. So I, I see it as a chain. You know, there was Ralph's story and then Hauser, And now
0: Allison Martino. are lucky to have
1: Allison Martino Super. with her own take on it. And we enjoy it. And we loved having her on.
0: Well, David, it was another great interview. And this time with Allison Martino, I got to tell you, it was a lot of fun. And I look forward to hearing from her again. And I look forward to just following her and seeing all the fun things that she does. So it was great talking to Allison.
1: Yeah, I think we not only made a podcast, but we made a new friend.
0: Yeah. Anyways, it was so awesome. So thanks again for listening.
1: Like us wherever you're listening and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. We need some more ratings. Do it.
0: We need our friends to share our posts and our pages. We need more followers. Help us out. We love you guys. Bye. Bye. Suicide has personally affected my life. If you or anyone you know is struggling or having a hard time, there is help out there. Please reach out to the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255.